Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says, so we can know what to believe. This, again, is our Q&A. If you have a question, you can write the word question in front of your comment, write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then we'll bring it in and we'll try to give your question an answer. We're not saying that we have all of the answers. We'll answer them to the best of my ability. However, we will turn to God's Word to see what God's Word says because God is our authority. Now, the first question that we have was one that was asked to me after a service, and this is, is anything impossible for God, or can God do anything? Now, this is kind of a gotcha question. And so when I was asked this, I said immediately, well, now God is limited. But there was a time when he wasn't. What do I mean by that? I mean, remember, God's the creator of our universe, of the time-space-matter continuum. So he created everything in it. So he could have created everything to work differently if he chose to. So, So the gotcha question that they have goes something like this. There's a lot of them, but it goes something like this. <clears throat> Can God make us a rock so big he can't move it? And if you say, well, yes, then you say, well, then he can't move it. If he can make a rock so big he can't move it. If you say no, they'll say he can't do anything because he can't move the rock that he just made that was so big. But God's the one who put these things into place. God is all powerful. The Bible tells us that there's nothing that God cannot do. However, God limits himself all the time by his promises. Every time God makes a promise to you, every time he makes a promise in scripture, God is limiting his sovereignty. Some people define sovereignty as God doing whatever he wants to do, which is true. But sometimes God chooses to limit his sovereignty. So when he makes a promise to me, he cannot break that promise. Now there is something that God cannot do because he made that promise. And God only limits himself by the things that he said. When he said, I will never destroy the earth again by water. Now there's something God cannot do. So even though God is all powerful, remember that the angel Gabriel told Mary, nothing will be impossible for God. God could do it all. But God is a righteous God and a just God, and he makes promises that put limitations on it. And that's why when people read verses like this, this is, uh, there we go. This is Mark 9, 23. Jesus said, if you believe all things are possible, uh, if you believe all things are possible to him who believe. And immediately the father cried out and said, Lord, uh, I believe, but help my unbelief. But some take this verse and they say, for us as Christians, all things are possible. Well, there are always limitations. Yes, all things are possible for those who believe, but within the limitations of what God has said, and that's assumed in the statement. All things are possible doesn't mean that you're going to now be able to become God because you're not going to be able to become God. So there are limitations immediately set inside of it. And so sometimes we get to the point where we think wrongly about the sovereignty of God. And this is a a sovereignty issue because God is sovereign. What does that mean? What is that definition? God can do what God chooses to do. But if God chooses, for example, 
to give salvation to every person who believes, God has limited himself to giving salvation to only those who believe. And God can choose to do that. When people say God is so sovereign that he chooses people who are saved and who are not saved, I say my God's more sovereign because he chose people, he chose to give people freedom of choice. He chose to give up a little of his sovereignty. I don't even know if that's the right way to say that. He chose to give man a choice because he wanted us to love him because we chose to love him. And for that reason, God is so sovereign that he could allow people to make their own decisions. Now we operate and move within a bubble of sovereignty. Sooner or later, we're gonna run into God's sovereignty. And that's like a hard stop for us. We can't get past that. But we can, we can do the things that God has given us choices to be able to do. So when someone says, can God do anything? Just go ahead right away and say, nope. God can't break his promises. And God's given many of them. There was all kinds of freedom that God had, but God limited his freedom because of the love that he had for us. What an amazing statement. Now, it's good to see you guys. And if you are uh, logging in here for the very first time, really glad to have you here. If you have a question, then you can write your question out and uh, on uh, the co- in the comment section and then go ahead and submit it <clears throat> with the word question in front of it and then write out the word question and reread it a couple of times. Make sure that it makes sense and uh, we'll take your question in. And you can ask any question that you want to, by the way. And um, we will we will look at it. I try to read them a little bit before I bring them in uh, to make sure that they are appropriate so we don't have to come back in later on and edit this out. Um, but we have our first question from Rod. And Rod, good to see you. Uh, Rod's got first today. And Rod says, uh, Romans 14, 1 through 6. All right. Some people seem to use it as an excuse to do or watch anything. What do you think about renewing your mind. All right, so a couple of different passages there that Rod has given us. Um, And Rod, again, good to see you. First of all, he's given us Romans 14, verses 1 through 6. And it talks about the freedom that we have when we are, when we have a conviction. And um, I just want to bring this up here, and let's let's just read some of it. I don't know if we'll read all six verses, but let's just read some of it. It says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. So immediately we see that he's talking about doubtful things. He's not talking about something that is outright sin. We, we, no one can say, look, I have freedom to be able to, to lie. I have freedom to have an affair. Not that people tell me that. I have freedom to commit adultery because it's true love, they told me, which about made me throw up, to be honest with you. But you don't have freedom to sin. We're not talking about that. This is doubtful things. Anything that's not doubtful, then this doesn't give you freedom to do. It says, for one believes he may eat all things, but another eats only vegetables. So here's the doubtful thing. Some are vegetarians and some are not. And some think that the vegetarians may think that they're better because they don't eat everything. And those who eat everything might think that they're better because they don't eat vegetables. It says, let him who eats despise, let him who eats despise him who does not eat, or excuse me, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats. So uh, kind of mind your own business in these doubtful things, and you may have a conviction 
that you're not supposed to eat that. But God allows us to be able to make these decisions unless there's a clear-cut prohibition against it in Scripture. Verse 4, who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able to make him stand. For God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. So here we have the controversy over the Sabbath day. Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? You can go to church whenever you want. The Bible doesn't say in order to really serve God, you got to go to church on Saturday or Sunday. The Ten Commandments are applicable to the Old Covenant. All of them are reiterated in the New Testament except to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so this is a doubtful thing. Some make a case for it. And if if you believe you're supposed to worship on Saturday, me, me as one who believes that I'm free to worship any day I want, I'm supposed to leave you alone because this is a doubtful thing. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He gives thanks. He gives God thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, uh, he does not eat, and he gives thanks. All right? So as far as that part of it goes, then we see if someone's using this to be able to say, listen, I have freedom, so I'm going to go ahead and do this thing that is obviously sinful, that the scriptures say do not do, then that is a misuse of that scripture completely. Now, the other passage that you brought up, is out of Romans chapter 12. So that's just a little bit before this one, right? Am I right? And that's what, let me look here again and make sure. Um, yeah, so uh, renewing your mind. So this is Romans chapter 12, and <clears throat> this is verses one and two. I want to bring this one up on the screen for you as well. It says here, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That is, that we're to make sacrifices. We're to give up things that are lawful for us to do, but because there might be a real effect, because it may make someone stumble, I give it up. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right. So, um, yeah, we, we want to renew our minds and we need to be wise. And some things that may be acceptable to, to, for some people to do are not acceptable for other people to do because some people can't handle it. And you just have to, 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 these are all doubtful things. These are not things that are sinful. They're doubtful. And as soon as it crosses that line to something that we find in Scripture, then we can stand firm on it. <clears throat> I don't know that we need to be the Gospel Gestapo and run around to point to everybody and tell them the sin that they're doing. That gets annoying pretty quickly, and there's probably a better approach you know, with, with love and care, <clears throat> building a relationship with them, really being able to talk to them. All right, so thank you, Rod, for that question. I really do appreciate it. Good to have you here with us today. Fact check these hands has a question. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? I'm always thinking about and talking in my head to Jesus looking for ways to please him. Is that the same thing? <clears throat> first Thessalonians 5, 15 and 16. So let's go to first Thessalonians 5, 15, 16. Let's take a look at this reference. First Thessalonians 5, 
15. All right. So here it says, see that no one renders uh, uh, evil to evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for yourself and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we just read that passage out of Romans that said that you may prove what is the perfect, acceptable, uh, and good will of God for you. Now we see that these things are God's will. Praying without ceasing, when um, when a non-believer thinks, they just think to themselves. When us as Christians think, we are to think to God. We have that relationship with him. <clears throat> We're always with him. We're always walking with him. There's never a time that he isn't with us. This is what it means to walk with God. When the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God and was no more, fact check these hands, I believe that that's what he was saying. He was constantly seated, talking to God all of the time, and he walked with God. And this is how you and I walk with God. We walk with him by thinking to him all of the time. There's prayers in our mind as we're thinking, and we're taking every opportunity that we have to be able to call out to God in prayer. And <clears throat> this is not a super spiritual thing, fact check these hands. Uh, you can get to where there is some arrogance that comes into play, to where you're like, I'm always praying and I'm always talking to God. And you kind of let people know. And Jesus said, when you do your good works, do it in such a way that when men see your good works, they glorify your father who is in heaven. And the scribes and Pharisees did their works in such a way that men would look at them and think good things about them rather than doing things to glorify God. And so we wanna stay away from that self-spiritual pride, being like a Pharisee. But we do want to do the will of God, which is giving thanks in all things, which is praying without ceasing, which would be, which would be having that constant interaction with God in your head. All right. I, I really appreciate it. I love that verse, by the way. And uh, last time we taught through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, it was such an encouragement to me just to make sure that I was walking with God all of the time. We have a question from Albert. Albert, it is really good to see you. Good to have you here with us. Albert says, part one. We got a part two question coming? Oh, uh, is it here? All right, okay, part one. <clears throat> Hello, Pastor. Is nakedness a symbol of sin in the Bible? We see Adam and Eve naked after eating the fruit. Noah's nakedness revealed after getting drunk. If Jesus, uh, and if Jesus was crucified naked, all right, so I see. So you're writing this out into parts because YouTube restricts how long it can be. So let me see if I can go down here and find part two, if you've submitted it yet. <clears throat> here you go, part two. I'm bringing it in. Good job, Albert. Part two. If Jesus was crucified naked, could it be like the first Adam whose sin needed to be covered with a sacrifice that Jesus, becoming sin, was naked and became the sacrifice to cover sin. All right, great, great thought, Albert. I wanna come back to the first part of your question here because um, there's a part of this question that I thought about a lot, but I haven't thought about the second part of your question. So the first part is nakedness, a symbol of, the, uh, of sin in the Bible. We see Adam and Eve naked after eating the fruit, Noah naked revealing by when he gets drunk. So. 
yeah, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, they now obtained a sin nature and obtaining that sin nature, they now had impure thoughts and they saw themselves naked because of their impure thoughts, because now they were impure and they immediately wanted to cover up their nakedness. They were covering up who they were. They, they had to now put a covering on because they couldn't be exposed because they now had that sin nature. And nakedness in the Bible becomes a symbol of that. The rawness of the sin nature and of us always trying to cover it up. All right, so I thought a lot about that. And yes, I think Noah ties into that <clears throat> completely and um, even the events that happen after that. But then we come to Jesus being stripped naked on the, uh, the cross. Now, it never says that they stripped him naked. It does say they stripped him. Uh, it, do, um, it does say they stripped him, or does it just say for their clothing they cast lots? Um, either way, it doesn't say the exact words that they stripped him naked, but they crucified people naked. And, G and the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross despising the shame. Part of that shame would be the nakedness. Um, the, the death of a crucifixion would be, would be shameful as well. And so the second part is, this is a great thought. If Jesus was crucified naked, could it be like the first Adam whose sin needed to be covered with the sacrifice that Jesus becoming sin was naked and became a sacrifice to cover sin? So that Jesus literally was taking our place in all kinds of ways. The Bible says in Isaiah 56, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Chastisement means beating. He was taking beatings for our peace. He carried our sorrow and our grief. On the cross, he cried out, I thirst. This is the one who said, if you drink of water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And come unto me and drink, and out of you will gush torrents of living water. And he himself became thirsty. So we see all of these substitutionary things that Jesus was doing, <clears throat> and that he was made naked to take away my nakedness. And I don't know if cover, you use the word cover there, and I understand what you're saying, Albert, but remember, the law covered sin, Jesus took it away. And one day, my, <clears throat> my sin nature will be gone, which is an absolutely incredible thought. The Bible declares that God has predestined you, Albert, to be holy and pure and without sin. I love the verse, and I love it for me and you, because now we have sin. If anyone says they don't sin, 1 John tells us they're a liar. <laughs> they're lying on the spot when they say they don't sin, because they sin, and they're lying when they say it. But one day, all of our sin will be removed, and that, quote, nakedness will, will no longer be there. Like Adam and Eve, who walked with God before, without the sin nature, and had no shame of being naked at all. But then they knew they were naked after they ate of the fruit because of that sin nature. So Jesus, we could say, became naked for us so we would not be naked, so we would not have that sin nature. I love that, uh, I love that thought, Albert, good stuff. All right, let me go back in between these two <clears throat> and see who I missed. Uh, there we go, okay, so we have a, um, Question from Tim. Tim says, uh, a bit con um, controversial, oh boy, but my niece is a Christian and is right with God in her own behavior. 
But for others, she is okay with some, not all, believers listed in Romans. What do I say to her? All right, let me make sure I understand your question. Um, bit controversial, but my niece is a Christian and is right with God in her own behavior. But for others, she is okay with some, not at all, believers listed in Romans. What do I say to her? Tim, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to need some clarification. Um, maybe it's clearer than I'm reading it, but I don't, I don't get it. Is she judging some and not others for the behavior? Um, maybe you can give me the reference too. But can you um, ask the question again with a little bit more clarity? I'll, I'll look for it here in a few minutes. I'll give you time to go ahead and write that down and I'll come back and I'll look for it. All right. So I, pre I appreciate that. I'm just sorry. I, I just don't want to take a stab at something. I've done that before. And then I wasn't even close to what the person was asking. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pass on that and um, look for some clarity. All right, Tim, I appreciate you submitting your question. Uh, so I have a follow-up from Kimberly. Kimberly says, follow-up. Um, I don't agree. Oh, I don't, or I don't argue. Okay. I don't argue. I said it wasn't a salvation issue. No need to argue. In fact, Romans says not to. He said it was a salvation issue because it is a sin to break God's commandments. All right, Kimberly, did I miss something? Um, let me go back and see if I didn't miss a question from Kimberly because I'm not sure. There it is. Let me put in the right question, Kimberly, and then we'll get your follow-up. How about that? Hi, Pastor. Messianic, uh, using Acts 10, 28, said it is sin to eat unclean food. I brought up Romans 14. He told me that was jumping around. Yeah, I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. I thought <clears throat> we were to use scripture to interpret scripture. Thoughts? Yeah, I was uh, talking with a Jehovah Witness once. Actually, my son was. Uh, we lived by a, um, what do they call, what do they call uh, Jehovah Witnesses churches? Um, Anyway, we lived right by one and I'm driving by and I see my son there outside because they're not going to bring him into church. He's outside and he's arguing with him. This is my oldest boy. And um, when I get there, there he's arguing. They're arguing with him about Jesus being crucified on a cross. And Jesus uh, and uh, and David keeps saying to them, it doesn't matter if he was crucified with his hands above his head or outside. It's that he was crucified for you. And they're really going through it. So then I kind of back away a little bit. And then I finally they get on the topic of God, Jesus being God. And so I go to two different places and they say, you can't jump around the Bible like a rabbit. And after a little while, he showed me two different passages. And I said, hold on, you just said I couldn't jump around the Bible like a rabbit. So yes, you're exactly right, Kimberly. You have to interpret scripture with scripture. And, you know, we've got a term that is used a lot today. And that term is gaslighting someone who is trying to make you think that what you're doing is not appropriate because they are trying to manipulate you. You have every right to take scriptures and put them together in the Bible. In fact, it's absolutely necessary to rightly divide the word of God. Now you've got to take the, it into context all the time and that's where you can have problems. So as long as what you're saying is taken in context and Romans 14 would be in context. Um, let's go to Acts 20, uh, 10, 28. Let's take a look at what that passage is. And then 
And I'm really glad that you're saying, I got a light on my, my uh, board flashing away here. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on. I'm gonna ignore it. I'm hoping that there's no noise going out. This is my soundboard. I hope there's no noise going out over, over that. So Acts 10, 28, 10 and 28. Um, all right, so let's see. This is what the verse says. This, this will really be interesting. I think he's using this out of context. It'll really be interesting if he is. Um, all right, so Acts 10, 28 says, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean. All right. So I just interested in how he's using that verse. Did I get the right one there, Kimberly? Acts 10, 28. Acts 10, 28. Yeah, I, I'm just interested in how he's trying to use that verse to say, because it doesn't say what he's trying to, to make it say. Um, I um, Let me go ahead and get back out of this. Uh, but I But I will say to you, Kimberly, that hey, go to the book of Galatians. The Galatians were told that they were supposed to keep the law. And when you're reading there, you find out that Peter was eating with the Gentiles their food. And then when brethren from Jerusalem came up, he withdrew. And Paul says he withstood him to his face. These people that were teaching that you had to become circumcised, that you had to eat kosher food, Paul calls it another gospel. That if anybody comes teaching you another gospel, let them be accursed. So your statement in your, your follow-up was that I don't argue. And, and so this is right. So when you said, um, I don't argue, uh, I said it wasn't a salvation issue, no need to argue. It's only a salvation issue if he thinks you have to be kosher to really be saved. And if it's not, then you're right. In fact, Romans says um, not to. And, I, and the second Timothy says, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, correcting those who are in opposition. And when things get heated like that, um, a couple of things that I think are happening here. I think I think the term gaslighting fits. And I, and I think that we should, understanding that form of manipulation, when someone is trying to talk to you and they're trying to get you to believe what, what they believe, they're going to make statements, and when you try to correct it, they're going to try to make you think that what you're saying isn't right because of this or that. So what you, one way to, to respond to it is if he says, you can't jump around the scriptures, you say, well, that's interesting. Where does it say that? Where does it say I can't compare scripture to scripture? And if all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing for every good work, well then, shouldn't we be able to take all of God's word in its context? But he's just trying to cut you off. He's trying to make you think that what you're thinking is not right. I, I looked up gaslighting yesterday because I was interested, and you hear it everywhere now, and I was interested in what it meant. And it came from an Alfred Hitchcock play where a guy was stealing from his wife, and every time he would turn on the lights and to go through her jewelry, the gaslight where she was at would dim. And so he was starting to tell her, they don't dim. I've checked into them. I've looked all around. They don't dim. Whenever they dim, it's just you. It's in your own mind. So he was making her think that the reality of what she saw wasn't what she was really seeing. And the, the play 
uh, the movie that was made by Alfred Hitchcock of the play was called Gaslight or Gaslighting or maybe Gaslight. But anyway, we get gaslighting from that. And so that's what that's what this guy is doing. And we sh you should be able to really see that. I wish I knew this years ago. It would have saved me countless conversations when someone starts gaslighting me, when someone starts to attack the way I'm looking at scripture rather than looking at the validity of the scripture that I'm bringing it up and within its context. And this is a common practice. We had talked about the Kanye West last last time we had our Q&A <clears throat> and the um, black Hebrew uh, Israelites and how venomous they get at the end. But they'll also gaslight you. They'll just overwhelm you with statement after statement after statement, not giving you a chance to answer to any one of them. And then seeing so many statements, you become you feel overwhelmed. Well, how am I going to respond to all of this? And you need to know you don't have to respond to all of it. You just pick one. When someone does that, then you pick one. And if they discount what you're saying by saying you can't jump around the Bible, then you say, why not? The word of God is the word of God. If it, the word of God shines light on what the word of God is saying. And if it's true one place, it's true another place as well. All right. So yeah, don't argue with them. Uh, don't argue with him. Uh, Kemper, uh, Empress Kimberly, uh, Emberly, which would be a, you know, putting those both, both together. Don't argue with them. And someone who's like that's probably not, I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to judge him but he's probably not really wanting to listen to you anyway. He's wanting to make his statements. He believes what he believes about eating um, kosher food. When the very passage he's talking about is God saying, don't call and clean what I've called clean. And he gave Peter an order three times to rise, kill and eat, which is an interesting thought in itself, because does that mean at that point, now Peter's okay to eat unkosher food? Because God gave him a command three times, rise, kill, and eat, to a table full of unkosher food. And then he left and he went into a Gentile's house, and they ended up getting saved. All right. So um, thank you very much, uh, Kimberly. Uh, if um, you have any more questions about that, you can ask a, a follow-up <clears throat> if we have time uh, to be able to get to them. All right. So let's see. All right. So then we get to Albert's uh, first question. Then back to, to uh, Tim's, which was, um, yeah, the, I didn't really understand. Let me look forward here and see if I can find Tim clarifying this question. And um, just because I, I can't I really understand what he's talking about. So let me just take a minute to do this. You guys are talkative. I hope it's all, you know, it's, no, saying hi and stuff is great, but I hope it's all... Um, I hope it's all there, Tim, Tim, Tim. All right. Um, yeah, I hope that you're you're keeping it on point, kind of focusing in on the things that we're talking about, helping each other uh, to understand these things. All right, so I can't say anything but Tim. Now I got to go backwards to find where I was. I don't know if that was quite a good idea, but I really did want to give him an opportunity to be able to clarify that question. All right, so here we are. <clears throat> So we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. I thought maybe you weren't with us today. Jari says, did Jesus ever speak in tongues? No. Uh, or a heavenly language? No. All, uh, not that we know of, but let's go on and we'll talk about it. Also, why did Eve say, neither shall we touch it? 
um, was she a baby in a 30 year old body or was Adam supposed to teach her? And he didn't. Okay. Um, Jari, let's, uh, let's deal with your first question. All right. So, um, we're going to, we're going to stick to our one question per, uh, per question. Did Jesus ever speak in tongues or in a heavenly language? All right. So tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and there are gifts that we are given. There's the gift of teaching and the gift of evangelism and the gift of organization and the gift of prophecy and the gift of miracles and the gift of faith. Some believe that these gifts have gone away now, but the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches, I think, the exact opposite, that there was not a time for these things to pass away. That which is perfect that's gonna come is Jesus, and then these things that are for now will pass away. But Jesus was not in that dispensation where he was in the church and he would speak in tongues. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that when someone speaks in tongues, they edify themselves. Later on, Paul says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but when we're together, that you would prophesy. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. And so these things are really important. And for those of you that have the gift of tongues, to be able to pray, to be edified, when you, when you pray in tongues, you're self-edified. I, I have the gift of tongues and I'm often compelled to speak in tongues when something really tough is going on. And, I, and I'm not quite sure why that is. Because when you speak in tongues, it's your spirit speaking mysteries to God. God's not speaking through you. That's why the interpretation of the tongue will never be, thus says the Lord. But you are now praying to God, magnifying God. It says in Acts chapter 2, they heard them magnifying God in their own voices. When in Acts chapter 10, when they received tongues, it said, we heard them magnifying God and we thought if God didn't withhold them the Holy Spirit, then we were going to baptize them. That's when the Gentiles ended up getting saved. And then tongues is us speaking to God. So, so it is for us now in this time that we are in, the church age, to be able to go before God. And so the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, baptized us, uh, baptized the, the church and us. And I think there is a reference in Acts 8. They had only been baptized in the, the name of Jesus, it says. So there is a, this other baptism that seems to be connected with the giving of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't have that. So I would say that Jesus didn't speak in tongues and um, not that he didn't have the Holy Spirit, he couldn't have, but that wasn't the time that he was living in. That gift wasn't in operation um, during that time. We'll, um, if I get to the end of the study, Jari, and I'll come back and deal with whether or not Eve was a baby in a 30-year-old body. I don't know, I got to where she was 30, but we'll deal with that later on, all right? <clears throat> So there's Albert's part two to his question. And uh, I appreciate you guys. If you're uh, new here with us, you're joining for us for the very first time. Really glad to have you. You can ask a question, write the word question out, and then write your question behind it. So I know I'm looking for the word question to know if it's a question, and then I'll bring it in. But make sure it makes sense. Reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense so that I'll be able to bring it in and read it, all right? So we have a question from Daru. Daru says, hello, Pastor Robert. 
I have two missionary Mormons who I invited inside my house, but I think this was not a good idea. I shared with them my views on the gospel. Was that good? Um, so there's a passage in Second John that says not to even invite them into your home. These were those that were in their community who were known false teachers. And inviting someone into your home in their day was extremely important. And I wish I had that exact scripture. Let me just see if I can take some time to find, to find it. I'd love to look at it. Don't even invite them into your home, scripture. All right, let me just see if I can find that really quick. Second John 1.10. So let me go there, <clears throat> Daru, and I want to show you this, and we'll see if in the way in which it would apply today. Second John 1.10, very short letter here, right? And so I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. Um, it says, let's read, let's read 9, 10, and 11, just to read it in context. It says in, in, in verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now I'm trying to remember the context of 2 John. Let me just go back to the beginning of this to see if I can get 2 John um, to the elect that you know, children to meet in her house. Um, all right, so I don't want to say too much about this because I, I don't want to get it wrong, but Daru, there is, there. this is a house church and inviting someone into that, their house church that would be much smaller would be allowing them to bring their influence into it. I have a whole study on John chapter, on second John, the it's one chapter. And I go into this in detail. Uh, it's been a while ago that I did it. You'd, you'd have to go to our website to find it. I don't think you could find it on YouTube. You have to go to our website to find it, but it will be helpful with that. Um, I think there is a time when you can bring someone into your house when you're trying to win them over the Lord. Um, but I think as a general rule, you would want to say, oh, I don't want to bring them in. I, I, I think letting someone come in and kind of have that opportunity to kind of lead you astray. And, and they're, again, they're dealing with the house church um, and it's, there's some things that are there. No, let me just go, let's just go take some time to read this in the beginning here. Uh, the very beginning of this letter, uh, the elder to the elect lady, her children whom I love in the truth and not only, but also all who have known the truth because of the truth, which abides to us and will be with us. Grace and mercy and praise uh, from father and then Christ, uh, from the father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the son of the father in the truth. I rejoice that I find that some of the children are walking in the truth. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to bail out on that just because I don't want to hurry through it. I don't think I'm, I'm really being helpful at that point. Um, know that that passage is out there. 
Daru. And giving someone a false teacher too much access is definitely a problem. And you want to you want to go back and look at the context of that passage. But um, I'm glad you shared with them. And there's just so many bizarre things that are within Mormonism. And if you want to know more about Mormonism, I'm going to send you to uh, Mike Winger's uh, BibleThinker.com or, or go to his his uh, YouTube page and look at Mormonism. He's got a couple of great things on there about Mormons that's going to help you. Uh, sorry, I'm not a little bit more help with that. I just don't remember. I remember some of it, but not all of it, of the context of why they would not have been allowed to be in their house, but it might be okay for us to be able to bring someone into our house today. <clears throat> but certainly the same thing would be true in context for us today. All right. Um, I'll take some time to look at it, maybe give a follow-up if I can remember that I, I'm, I'm supposed to look up exactly what the context of that is. All right. So we have another question here. Um, so uh, JDH says, did the Holy Spirit indwell the same way after Pentecost? No. So after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with gifts. So he indwells us and he and gifts us and he's always with us. The Holy Spirit came to Samson, but left him. David was worried the Holy Spirit would leave him. The Holy Spirit went in Saul and left him. So there was this fear that the Holy Spirit could come. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come and go. But with us, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is in us completely and totally. So when we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit. And then when we receive or are empowered or the Holy Spirit baptizes you, or the, whatever you want to call that second experience, which I believe clearly Acts 8 teaches us that there is a second experience, whatever you want to call it. The Holy Spirit then begins to work in power in your life. Jesus said to his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that word upon is used throughout the book of Acts to talk about when the Holy Spirit would empower them. And it happened to them more than once. Peter was empowered when uh, the, the Holy Spirit came upon him uh, in Acts 1.8, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, in Acts chapter 2, and then he was empowered again in chapter 4 when they prayed that they'd be given boldness to preach the word of God despite the fact that they'd been threatened. And the, the, it says the place where they were was shaken and they were all, uh, and the Holy Spirit came upon them all, and, and on and on. So the Holy Spirit can continually empower us to do the work that God calls us to do. I believe that there is an empowering. There could be a first, second, third, fourth, fifth empowering of the Holy Spirit. But I also believe that someone might never have the empowering of the Holy Spirit if they don't submit themselves to God, want to do His will, want to be empowered, and ask for the Holy Spirit. There's also a way in which they, they used to lay hands on people and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. This is not to receive salvation. That was by believing. But they received the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. And um, so, yes, the Holy Spirit did act differently after Pentecost than before it. All right. Thank you, JDH, and, and welcome, by the way. I think this is your first question with us. Sharon, maybe another first one, maybe. Sharon says, will all humanity be judged, or will it be judged, or will it be just those left behind during the Great Tribulation? <clears throat> I need, I keep hearing you say we will be judged. Please clarify. Thank you. Yeah, um, is it uh, sh uh, sh 
Shannon. I'm just gonna Shannon. No, Shan. Shanna. 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 All right, Shanna. All right. Sorry, I butchered your name. Um, yes, we are all going to be judged. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Then the Bible gives the first resurrection, which is Jesus. It's the first part of that. He was the down payment, the first fruits of the first resurrection. Then in the resurrection of the saints and the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. And then those that die during the tribulation period, which is going to be a lot of Christians who die during that. And these are people that are tribulation saints. They became Christians after the rapture resurrection took place. Then they're resurrected. And that's the first resurrection. Not just that, but all of those who have been resurrected before that. Then there's a second resurrection, which is called the second death. And all who are in, who have ever been alive will be judged. The books will be opened. Those in Christ will receive judgment of our motives. Those who are not in Christ will be judged by what they've done and will be punished by what they've done. And not everybody's going to be treated the same because Jesus said, some will be beaten with few stripes and some will be beaten with many stripes but every single person will be judged. There's no reason for us to think that if you're alive today and you die, that you're not going to be judged. In fact, that would be very unbiblical. I think I can make that case in a lot of different places. Um, and <clears throat> I wanted to go to Daniel 12, and I think that it says it here. Let me bring this up on the screen for you. We'll see if I'm right. Um, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There's a lot right there and an angel being called a prince over the people of Israel. And there shall be time of trouble such was never since there was a nation even until this time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. I think that's personally a reference to the rapture. And God even supernaturally delivering the children of Israel during it. Everyone um, who are not Christians, but become Christians. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting shame and some to everlasting contempt. So many of those um, who sleep, so it doesn't say all. Um, I think I can make the case from, from other places there, uh, although that verse says many, and I think that many there, remember we're reading it a lot of times. Uh, here we are. Let me do this. Remember, we're reading it a lot of times in in English when it's written. That part was written in, I think, Aramaic. Might have been Hebrew. But you want to go back and look at the original language and look at what that how that word many is used and how you can use that word many. So when it says many will be resurrected, it's just like lots and lots of people are going to be resurrected. But it's not excluding anyone. Uh, but <clears throat> no, there's no reason for us to think that uh, only those who are die after during the great tribulation will be judged. If someone doesn't walk with Christ day, now, the Bible says it's appointed once for man to die and then comes judgment. So everyone is going to be judged. You, you, if I, if I butchered that question, which I realized I was all over the place, sorry about that. Uh, you can ask a follow-up. All right. And, uh, before I, I go off the air, I will look and see if you have a follow-up question there. Okay. Um, 
So we have a question from Tim. Is this is this a clarification? No, Tim. I think she said is okay with some, but not all believers. Not believers listed in Romans chapter one. All right. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm not sure which question that was referring to. Maybe I maybe I butchered another question. I've been known to do that from time to time. All right. I'm sorry if I did that. All right. So um, Kimberly has a follow up. So Kimberly says, um, right verse. He said the scroll wasn't about food. It was about not calling man unclean. That, well, yeah, okay. Well, it's because the Jews not only believed that they were not supposed to eat something that wasn't unclean, they believed they weren't supposed to go into the house of a non uh, of, a, of a Gentile. And so Peter would be calling the Gentile unclean and calling the food unclean. So God says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so. Nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. And he says, don't call unclean what I call clean. So I understand him saying that. And if I were talking with him, I would move on to a much more powerful verse. I would say that verse does not help you in any way, shape, or form in order to try to say that you should or shouldn't eat food, that it uh, that food should um, not get you into heaven. I was think, trying to think of, um, there's a verse in Colossians that says, let no one judge you concerning food and drink and, and full moons and Sabbaths. And is it Colossians 2.13? Let me look and see. I think that might be it. And, and that's the verse, that's one of the verses that you would want to go to. And you can say this, I'm not going to let anybody do it. I'm not going to let anybody judge me. Um, no, that's not it. All right, let me take a minute and see if I can find that. I found another verse earlier. Let's see if I can find another one, all right? Um, don't let anyone judge you concerning food or drink or the Sabbath day. Scripture. Colossians 2.16. What did I say? I thought I said, oh, I said 2.12. Okay, 2.16. All right, here we go. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you, um, Kimberly, and I think this will help you. Because this, this verse will allow you to be able to say to them, I'm not going to let you do this. So listen to what it says. So let no one judge you in food or drink or in regards to festival, new moons, or Sabbaths, which are shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So now this is direction to you. So you would say to him, I'm not, I don't want to argue with you, but it does tell me in Colossians 2.16 that I'm to let no one judge me concerning food, drink, festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. Now, all of those are Jewish things because they are shadows of things to come. They, they were, they're, they're obsessed with eating kosher food, which was a shadow of the things to come, a shadow of Christ, when we are to, to live for Christ. But the substance is in Christ. And so I use this verse when someone's trying to lay their trip on me to tell them, I'm not going to let you judge me in that because the Bible tells me that. I'm just being obedient to what the Bible says. And so there's, there's, there's no sense in us continuing to talk about it unless you want to know why there's passages that I can show you that show us that we are not under the law anymore. But this was a big issue in their day, and they talk, the Bible talks a lot about it. And I was trying to think, I can't imagine that I don't have a whole video on this from the book of Galatians. 
So we went all the way through the book of Galatians and you may just go on YouTube, Kimberly, type in, um, you know, Calvary Tucson uh, Galatians um, playlist and then see if a Galatians playlist doesn't come up, click on it and kind of scroll through and see if um, there's one there on what you can eat. I would just be surprised if I didn't do one. I don't know, remember doing one per se. I remember discussing it there, but I don't know if um, I said that per se. But anyway, this that this particular passage is going to be able to help you because it says, don't let anybody judge you in these things that were very Jewish, but they were the shadow of things to come and Christ is the substance. And that's very, very important. All right. I hope that's helpful for you, Kimberly. Um, uh, Kevin says, what is the sunflower prophecy about let me bring it in here. <clears throat> um, Kevin says, what is the sunflower prophecy about and where is it mentioned in the Bible? I'm not sure what the sunflower prophecy is. Let's just take a look and see if we can find it. The sunflower prophecy. What is the sunflower prophecy in the Bible scripture? All right. Um, prophecy updates in time sunflower prophecy. Uh, well, it's a whole YouTube video here we don't want to watch. Hello, my name is Jim Caviezel, the actor who played Jesus. Jim Caviezel. All right, well, I want to take a look at it. I'm just going to have to plead ignorance at this point um, because I don't see... I don't see... Uh, let me just Let me just click on one more here. Maybe it won't start a video on here. What is the sunflower prophecy? <clears throat> Have you ever witnessed a day in the life of a sunflower? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, all right, let me take some time to, to look this up um, and to see. I've got, a, I've got a, a passage there that I'll look up later on. Um, I'm not familiar with it. Kevin, thank you for letting me know about that. I'll take a look at it and try to get back with you. All right, I'm, I am interested. All right, especially since Jim Caviezel popped up talking about the sunflower prophecy. All right, so we've got just a few more minutes. Uh, we have a service in an hour. We have special musicians, special guests for worship tonight. Uh, the Katinas are going to be with us, in fact, tomorrow morning as well. So you can join uh, to listen to them. I'm also going to be talking about Jesus dying and what he says when he's dying the actual statements he makes while he's dying. And these are some of the greatest statements that Jesus made. And making a statement like that isn't light. These are some of the greatest statements that Jesus made. And there's so much for us to be able to learn from them. And um, we are in Luke 23, the actual point where Jesus dies tonight and what he says while he's dying. And um, the words people say while they're dying are, are so important. Um, Let's see. Susan says, gaslighting can take on many forms. Yes, you never said um, that when you knew you did or you did this and said that only to be told it never happened. Right. Point is making you think you are crazy. That's right. Or um, gaslighting can be used. The point is to make you think that you are mistaken. That what you think you think you don't think. It's not very obvious to you, but you don't really think that. So that's the way it's become used. But originally, someone who's gaslighting you was trying to make you think you're insane. That was that was the original use. It's turned into something today of making you think that y your argument is just stupid. It's just ridiculous. It's a ridiculously stupid argument. And they'll just keep on going after you. Um, 
so I'll get that question um, later. Jari, Jari asked a question about Eve, kind of a follow-up there on it. But remember, I didn't, I only answered one of your questions. And I said I would go back to it, but I've got another question here. Okay, so we've got a question from Tim. This will probably be our last question for today. Tim says, hi, Pastor Robert. My niece is a Christian and lives accordingly, but in others, she approves of some of their behavior listed in Romans chapter one, starting in verse 24. Hope that is better. Yes, um, she approves of some in the behavior of, of Romans chapter one. So the, the list in Romans chapter one, I'm trying to think of exactly where it's at in Romans. Let me see if I can find it, Tim. Thank you. That is better. Um uh, it's it's a it's a list of ungodly behavior, and 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 you're asking, let's see, um, so you you are you wanting to talk to her about that? Is that what you're wanting to do? She approves of some believers, and in Romans chapter one, there's so few, there's just not enough space sometimes to put everything in, um, and I I, I see Kay your question about. Can you explain chosen and free will? Are we chosen before time? I'm, I, I'm going to use that question for the beginning of our Q&A on Wednesday, as long as we have it, Lord willing. You know, I said that and then got sick, but um, I'll, I'll do that. I want to spend some time on that, all right? Uh, so I'm going to Romans 1, and I'm going to try to get to Paul's list here of things that he says, God's wrath on the unrighteous. Who, it says, who know, not only do these things, but wholeheartedly um, agree with, and then it gives this list. Um, yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, I found it. All right, so let me read this. It says, let me put this up on the screen for you. It says, um, and even as they did not retain God in their knowledge. These are the ones whom God had revealed himself to in creation and revealed it in their heart. And they did not retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Let's just, let's just think about these, whether someone doing these things, we could approve of them. Okay, can you approve of someone who's doing unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of uh, evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of gods of those who practice such things, are deserving of death, not only do they the same, but approve of those who practice them. And so I take it that that portion there, approving of those who practice them, is what has prompted your question. Um, and I, I'm just going to say that that would be wrong to say I approve of someone who is doing any of those things. Now, maybe your niece is trying to make excuses for something not being in those categories. But there's no way that you could look at any of those categories, the way he ends that, are all deserving of death. God's gonna judge, uh, knowing that God, the righteous judgment of God 
that those who practice such things are not are deserving of death. There's no way that you could possibly say that any of those things are okay or, or approve of any of those things and say, well, that's, that, it's okay for that person to do it. So Tim, if that, if I, that doesn't answer your question, then um, come back and, and ask a follow-up question and maybe we'll get it right. Every once in a while, we got to do two or three of them. And um, okay, we are going to uh, take your question. We're going to ask, do we have free will? Did God choose me before the foundations of the world and predestined me and, de- and determine that I would become a Christian, but determine that someone else wouldn't become a Christian? Or did I get to choose? Or, or did God only make it seem like I was choosing, but I wasn't really choosing at all? This is a great question and a very pertinent question. So we are going to cover that a little bit later on. All right, we'll cover that as our first question in the next one. All right, Kay. Thank you very much. Good to see you guys. I see here. Ah, uh, looks like I got most of the questions. That's good. All right. So um, good to see you guys. Um, I'm going to take off. I want to get to the church, um, meet with the Katinas beforehand, thank them for being there. And um, they will be here this whole weekend. And we're going to be looking at the three, arguably the three most important statement Jesus made as he was dying on the cross. And it's very powerful. All right. So God bless you guys. Love you. Stay close to Jesus. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Don't give way uh, to, to the devil in your life, but resist him and he will flee from you. All right. We will see you later on. I'm out.